Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Today's teaching text comes from Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 8. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be in agony with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, friends and family. How's everybody doing? Y'all, it's mad at y'all in here today. Do y'all see this? We thank God for what he's doing in our community. This is wild. Wow. Wow, God is good. Okay, had a moment. Um, Good morning. Welcome to everybody that's tuning in online. Uh, My name is Brandon. I'm on staff here. And I'm excited. We're going to go deep today. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, week three. Um, We're going to start off by showing you this symbol. Not that symbol. That symbol. (laughs) All right, so by a show of hands, has anybody seen this uh, symbol or emblem before? Okay, Um, this is known as the Sankofa symbol. Everybody say that with me, Sankofa. Sankofa is a word from the Chui language in Ghana, West Africa. And it means to go back, to retrieve what's important from the past in order to move forward. Once again, Sankofa. All right, so this, uh, this idea, this ideal is represented by a bird with feet facing forward that is looking back over its shoulder toward the past. And the principle highlights that there are quality moments and lessons that happen throughout our lives with much value and importance that will be left behind if we don't take the conscious time to gather the wisdom that we need for the future. So last year around this time, I was going back in order to go forward as I was preparing to be married to the love of my life, Rachel Ann. That is Rachel Ann, y'all. It's crazy to think that was almost a year ago. All right, so um, this time last year, I was moving forward in a major step in life and manhood. I was about to be a husband. There was the possibility of one day becoming a father and a lot of thoughts and feelings. That wasn't an announcement. I was talking about what could possibly be, right? Um, One day, potentially, if it's the Lord's will. Just need to clarify. (laughs) Um, 
And there were a lot of thoughts and feelings that flooded through my mind about what these roles would look like and what life would mean to step into this type of responsibility. And naturally, as I thought about these roles, I considered who my first example of a man, husband, and father was, my dad. Now, my dad is the epitome of a stand-up guy. He loves the Lord with all his heart. He serves his family sacrificially. There's nothing that we would need that he will have before us. He's always giving of his very essence of himself. He's a man of high morals, and he's extremely dependable. If he says he's going to be there, he's going to be there. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And he's a man of integrity. And I have yet to this day meet, to meet another man quite as honorable as my father. Now, with all that being true, there were still some critical pain points throughout my life growing up that stemmed, I honestly think it was just a natural byproduct of having a Jamaican parent and a military parent. It's like, choose your strict. Do you want the Jamaican parent or do you want the military parent? Oh, you get both. Great, wonderful, good luck. So growing up in a Jamaican military household, two contexts that are known for being uh, pretty regimented and strict, there were, just by way of that intersection, just certain needs that I yearned for a little bit more that led to some pain points, a kind of communication that my heart desired, empathy that I really needed, presence uh, from my father that I, I, I felt like there was room for more of. As a child, you don't know how to interpret and process these things. You just feel them in ways that you don't have words to articulate. And you don't have the wisdom to understand what it means to be an adult and have multiple responsibilities and to have grace for your parents. All you feel is the emptiness and the pain of what you know you're longing for inside. So secretly and silently, I harbored a lot of pain and resentment from those truths. And over time, my relationship with my father suffered. So before I became a husband and a father myself, I decided that it was important to heal the relationship with my first example of what a husband and a father uh, is. And I spent about eight long months of having real, vulnerable, difficult, and painful, yet hopeful conversations with my dad. The conversation started with him telling me what it was like growing up in his household with his parents, and I learned a lot about his parents' parents, and that helped me to identify some family trends and themes that are prevalent throughout my history. And then we also had chances to speak about like specific topics such as God or fear or sex. That was an interesting one. <laughs> then came the big moment. My dad and I were sitting in this park and I knew that I had to have like the, the, the deep conversation, the, the real one that's been weighing on me for at that point 30 years, more like 23, but still a long time. So we were at this outdoor jazz concert, and there was this pit in my stomach, and it wasn't going to go away until I finally said something. So I took a deep breath, and I let it out. I said, Dad, there's a lot of pain I experienced as a child, specifically this, these moments, these opportunities, and these needs, and this word that was said, and this moment that was missed, and I was honest about everything. As a child, I didn't have the opportunity to share my opinions or my feelings. Um, especially as a, a boy, I had to kind of just like toughen up a bit. 
And everything that I carried on the inside was able to finally find a place outside of my body and in the ears of the one that I needed to share it with. We sat there and we had a super real conversation. We listened, we apologized, we healed, and we had more conversations. There was grace and forgiveness and the love of Christ that filled our hearts that night. Sometimes being emotionally healthy in our spiritual journey requires us to confront the realities of our family histories and traumas in order to move forward from them. And I acknowledge that everybody won't be able to have a conversation with a parent or a family figure, and I acknowledge my privilege in being able to say that I had that experience of doing so. But this principle that I'm talking about isn't about having a conversation with a person per se. It's more so about standing face to face with the reality of the pain that those family ties or lack thereof have caused and having the conversation, whether it's with the person or with a therapist, uh, if you're able to, in order to heal and move forward. Now, I can hear some of you thinking to yourself in your mind, nope, I'm good on all of that. Like, I'm glad it worked for you, wonderful. That's, that, no, I'm good. I have no desire to confront that pain. Like, I've been doing good for so long. Why would I decide now to just go digging up all the past? I pushed it back. I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, like, I'm fine. Like, I, I, I turned out okay, you know? Um, or maybe you might be thinking, therapy is, is not for me. I'll just pray about it, right? How many, anybody know a pray about it, folks? Like, I don't need therapy, I'll just pray about it. No, you should do both. <laughs> pray on your way to the, to the therapist. I pray you get there safely. Um, now, there are a number of reasons why we may not want to go through the hassle of confronting our past. And I want, you, I want to validate those concerns right now. You have every reason to be skeptical about this. Every reason. Pain is real and it cuts deep. It cuts into the very uh, uh, deep places of our soul that we don't quite look at or want to uncover ever. So what I'm asking you to do and encouraging you to do is not an easy thing. So I don't wanna make light of that situation. But I also want to encourage you, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus. I wanna encourage you that even the dark, painful, shameful, traumatic, unresolved and undisclosed parts of our life are not removed from the love and sovereignty of an almighty God that has been walking with you through every painful moment up until this hour. The painful parts of our history are not removed from God's plan of redemption and renewal for our lives. Confronting our family pain invites God to show us his redemptive plan for our brokenness. God's sovereignty can redeem the pain of your past for his glory. Our church is on the third week of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and this week we're looking at the theme of going back in order to go forward, breaking the power of the past. Now, I'll try not to spoil it too much for those that haven't read it just yet, but this week we're going to be taking a look at the, week of jo at the story of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, and his story is one full of chaos and family trauma, but it also displays God's sovereignty as Joseph confronts the pain of his past in order to move forward. So let's take a look at his story from the beginning. 
it starts off like this. It gets spicy real fast. <laughs> I can't tell it all, y'all. The entire so from ver chapter 37 to chapter 50 in Genesis, it's all about Joseph's story. Y'all go read the details. This is the spark notes. This is not good enough. Y'all need the juice. All right? <laughs> go get the juice. It's wild. But for a quick overview, let's read. Uh, now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Then he told his father as well as his brothers and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here the pain begins unfolding for Joseph and his brothers. Favoritism, jealousy, arrogance. These are the painful seeds that were planted in the soil of his family. Favoritism, feeling like you're less loved by your parents is a dagger to the soul. It initiates a need to fight for that number one spot and for their attention and affection. Jealousy, jealousy, once it arises in your heart, uh, it, you have all of a sudden a need to extinguish every glimmer of light that that other person expresses in order for you to experience your own survival feelings. Then this arrogance part that we see here, like, come on, did Joseph really have to communicate the dream like that? Like, okay, you had a dream, it was, you know, spooky, oh, but did he have to come back and like share that news in that manner with his brothers? I don't know. What was his purpose and intent behind doing so? He was 17 years old, so rather young, but he was considered a responsible adult according to his culture in that day. So in this, con in this situation, those seeds of discord were planted in this uh, brotherhood relationship. So let's fast forward and continue on in the story. So one day, Joseph was going to meet his brothers while they were working in the field, and they said to him, here comes that dreamer. Why I oughta? <laughs> they said to each other, come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the, the, the ornate robe that he was wearing and took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take, down, take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. The seeds of favoritism, jealousy, and arrogance have sprouted and grown into the fruit of abuse, rejection, abandonment, lying, oppression, and it just bloomed and blossomed and grew into something uglier and something more detrimental and something more harmful. And it's important for us to acknowledge the seeds of our family trauma in our own life because whatever painful seeds you don't uproot from the soil of your heart will inevitably begin to grow into some other issue over time. Offense grows into resentment. Insecurity grows into overcompensation. Rejection grows into works-based living. These seeds, they don't just go and blow away in the wind. They have to be healed and uprooted. So the Ishmaelites sold Joseph into the Egyptian, the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to the Egyptian captain of Pharaoh, which is Potiphar, and his brothers went home to their father to stage their brother's death. We just see lie after lie after lie, cover up after cover up after cover up. And this is something that is already in the history and the framework of generation after generation after generation in this family system from Abraham all the way downward. So the story continues. Joseph is sold into Egypt, but what happens when he gets there? Genesis 39 picks up the story. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Wow. Even through all the pain and all the misfortune that Joseph experienced, the favor of the Lord followed him. He was sold into Egyptian captivity, but he became Potiphar's favorite because the Lord brought success unto everything that he did, even after this horrific, traumatic experience that he had by the hands of his own family. Your pain and your misfortune, your jacked-up story, your history of traumatic events is not an indication that the Lord is not with you. It can feel that way. We can ask those questions. We can wrestle with those thoughts like, like, what? Like, Lord, do you not love me? Are you not with me? Your pain and your misfortune is not evidence that God has departed from you and has abandoned you and does not love you. He was right there with Joseph the entire way, and even in the, the, the context of pain, he found favor. So what ended up having, happening one day is Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of attempting to
to sleep with her, and Joseph was thrown into jail for dishonoring his guard. And now I'm just going to accelerate the story a bit by uh, just telling the story that while he was in prison, after the situation with Potiphar's wife, God still favored Joseph and gave him these vivid and accurate dreams and the ability to interpret them. So one day Pharaoh had a dream about his crops and his livestock being eaten up, but none of Pharaoh's magicians and soothsayers and, and, and witches and all those people, none of them could answer or interpret that dream. But Joseph, Joseph was called upon because Pharaoh learned that Joseph had the ability by the hand of God, Almighty God, to interpret dreams. So Joseph interpreted accurately Pharaoh's dream, and what it meant was that God was going to bring seven years of abundance to Egypt, followed by seven years of a horrific famine. Joseph gave instructions to store up a fifth of all the grain produced in abundance during the years of uh, abundance, and it would be enough to last them through the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh was so impressed by Joseph's ability to interpret that dream that he put Joseph in charge of all of Israel. So when the famine finally hits, it wasn't just in Egypt, it was all throughout the land. And Joseph's brothers, now some 20 years later, after selling him into captivity, they come to Egypt in order to get food and not knowing that, his bro that their brother was the one that was in charge of this entire operation, they go and in customary respect for what was customary at the time, they bowed down to Joseph, just like the dream depicted. But they didn't recognize that it was their brother. Joseph gave them the food and sent them back on their journey uh, to go back home to their father. And there were multiple times in which Joseph's brothers uh, came and he made them go back to their father's house. He threw in a little uh, trickery in there just to spice it up a little bit. And there were uh, multiple instances when Joseph saw his brothers that he had to leave their presence to go weep because he hadn't revealed his identity to them yet. He had to leave and weep because the grief of what he was experiencing, the reality of the pain and the history was hitting him and he was standing face to face with that honesty. Then the moment finally comes when Joseph reveals his identity to his brother. And that's where we find ourselves in our teaching text for today. Genesis 45, starting at verse 3, says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire house, and ruler of all Egypt. Y'all, verse 5 sends chills through my spine. Do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here. When the people in our lives do us wrong, we often want them to suffer the way we suffered. 
We want them to experience what we experience. We want them to know the extent of the pain and, the, and them to feel regret from a known and real place. But here, we see Joseph surrendering to God to be his vindicator in order to show grace to his brothers. Joseph was able to see beyond the evil his brothers had done to him to see God's greater purpose at work. And I think that's a challenge that we are all invited to engage in. We want vindication. We want people to feel what we felt oftentimes, but sometimes it's up to us to just surrender the entire thing to God for him to put everything in motion. But it doesn't stop at verse 5. Verse 7 picks up where it says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. You may think that it was the brother's fault, right? But Joseph was able to articulate it wasn't even you that sent me here, it was God. That's a confusing, conflicting idea to wrestle through. Did God tell Joseph's brothers to do those terrible things to him? No. Did God tell those people in your life to harm you and to cause the trauma and the pain that you've experienced? No. But Joseph's redemption, after all the pain he'd been through, is a great example that the sin and chaos we experience in this broken world is no match for the irrevocable calling and planning for God in our lives. If God wants to deliver a people, he will arrange even the sinful and broken problems of this world and in our life to direct attention back to his plan and his glory. God is sovereign over the sin and sovereign over the brokenness that life brings us. I'm not telling you to be like Joseph. This is not a be like Joseph sermon. What I'm telling you is that the same God who is sovereign over Joseph's life is the same God that is sovereign over yours. And you can trust him with the process of confronting your pain. You can trust him with the process of standing face to face with those realities in order to move forward. Why is it? Why is that possible? What makes all of this a reality? This thing that I'm asking us to do that's so hard, this thing that feels so impossible, where do we get the strength? Where do we get the power to be able to do all of this? Pete Schizero, the author of this book, says it quite perfectly and so succinctly that I couldn't put it any better myself, so I just put it on the screen. Because <laughs> why am I going to try to remix it? He did it. He did it. The great news of Christianity is that your family of origin does not determine your future. God does. What has gone before you is not your destiny. The most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God. It is a radical new beginning. When we place our faith in Christ, we are spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of Jesus. We are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Apostle Paul used the image of Roman adoption to communicate this profound truth, emphasizing that we are now in a new and permanent relationship with a new father. God becomes our father. Our debts, which are our sins, are canceled. 
We are given a new name, which is Christian, a new inheritance, which is freedom, hope, glory, and the resources of heaven, a new brother and sister, other Christians. And this is supported in Ephesians, the first chapter. Your painful past does not determine your future. God does. If your hope is not in Christ Jesus, I don't have any guarantees to give you. Christ is the only hope of, and guarantee that I can give you for this eternal hope and reality of a harmony and of a saving grace that can find you and restore you and renew you. Outside of that, I don't have a promise. But I do have a promise that we have a Savior that promises us renewal and hope in this life and in the life to come. So, hope is found in putting your faith in Jesus for your salvation and receiving your invitation into the family of Christ. The one who has conquered sin, conquered death and the grave, your pain is no competition for a savior like that. So what do we do with this information? What's the purpose of my past? What was supposed to come out of all of this and how can I use this for God's glory? Who who will be healed through my healing? I've adapted some of the takeaways from our chapter this week. I switched some of it so that it's not a total spoil. You'll get a little surprised when you read it yourself. You're still catching up. But there are a couple things that we can walk away and think about. Uh, the first one is to understand the bigness of God. God is big. He supersedes our human reasoning and understanding. We don't know why God allows us to endure some of the pain that we go through, but we trust that even with the size of our hurt and trauma, God is so much bigger and the story is so much longer than the terrible things that have happened to us or are happening to us. When we understand the bigness of God, we have the strength to go and confront the past pain that we've experienced. The second one is we gotta be real with our feelings and our emotions. We see Joseph weeping multiple times, even removing himself, so much so that he caused alarm. It was a guttural purge. It was a guttural release that came from a deep place. We have to access those deep places, the ones that we push down and push to the side and, and would rather disengage from and have disengaged and disassociated from because we have to survive. Sometimes surviving means going back and healing those spaces in order to move forward. This is not a ignore your pain and forgive everybody message. Part of going into your past is being vulnerable enough to say, this hurt me. Lastly, we can shift our perspective toward purpose. Your pain, your story, your mistakes, and your family trauma can all be used for the furthering of the gospel. Lives are going to be saved not just by telling others what God allowed you to avoid, but lives will be saved by sharing how God was present with you and enabled you to make it through the pain of the past. God, by his very nature, is incarnational. He shows up in the midst of our suffering. God is also a deliverer who brings his people out of bondage. Resist the temptation to tell God who he is supposed to be to you. 
whether he shows up in the midst of your suffering or whether he's delivering you from it. Let God be God and trust that whether he shows up or pulls you out of it, he is for you. God's sovereignty can redeem the pain of your past for his glory. And it may be hard to believe at times, but invite God into your heart to walk with you on the journey into your past in order to gain power for your future. There's a closing prayer that I want us to pray together. I'll read it for you first. Again, I adapted a little pieces into it. It's like the amplified version. And this comes from, uh, this comes from the chapter that we're reading this week. Um, and I will read it just so that we can meditate and internalize and then we can pray this together. It says, Lord, grant me courage, grant me wisdom, healing, peace, and forgiveness to learn from the past but not be crippled by it. Again, I'm going to read it one more time, then we'll say it together. Lord, grant me courage, grant me wisdom, healing, peace, and forgiveness to learn from the past but not be crippled by it. Let's all take a deep breath in. Let it out. Come on, we spoke about a lot today. Do another one. Deep breath in. And let it out. And as a family, as a community, let's pray this for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters that's with us together. Let's say, Lord, Lord, grant me courage. Grant me wisdom, healing, peace, and forgiveness to learn from the past but not be crippled by it. Can we say that one more time together? Lord, grant me courage, grant me wisdom, healing, peace, and forgiveness to learn from the past, but not be crippled by it. Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you.